Hello, and welcome to the first episode of What the Flame Whispers. My name is Cheskino. On this podcast, I'll share short works of speculative fiction, any piece of writing that uses fantasy, horror, or science fiction to explore human psychology. Our first story is an original piece written by me, your host. Please enjoy. Dr. Berenger's Dogs Written and Narrated by Cheskino Brooks DeVita I pulled off of the interstate and down a quiet road, following signs that directed me to the university campus. This would be my third stop in as many days, and I had two more campuses to hit over the next two days. Not the lifestyle I expected when I applied to Ph.D. programs. This evening promised to be exciting, though. A well-published but controversial Dr. Berenger was going to present what he claimed was a groundbreaking discovery in cognitive psychology. A thick blanket of snow on the ground ensured that everything was dimly lit in a dark, gray haze. Sunshine Avenue, a street full of shops, bars, and restaurants that served as the official social hub for the local university, was easy enough to find. I parked my motorcycle in an empty spot and looked down the street. Parked cars lined both sides of the road, but there was no one around. Every shop and restaurant stood empty, dark windows staring back at me. A thick blanket of snow covered all of the stationary vehicles. I stepped onto the sidewalk and realized that there were no footprints. The snow was still falling, so I reasoned that maybe everyone in town had stayed either on campus or at home this evening. Sunshine Avenue was just on the edge of campus, so I decided to leave my bike and walk. I made my way up the snow-covered hill and onto the university's southmost quad. The quad was just as lifeless as Sunshine Avenue. I continued my solitary trudge toward the Behavioral Sciences building. The only sound breaking the stillness of the night was the crunch of fresh snow under my boots. I began to wonder whether the university had shut down because of the weather, and no one had bothered to inform me. To my relief, I found a door with lights shining in the hall behind it, and the door was unlocked. I let myself inside, and unzipped my jacket to let in the warmth of the building, relieved to be out of the cold. There was no one around. I wandered a bit, looking for a gathering of people, or a sign pointing me in the direction of the presentation. Finding nothing on the main floor, I took the stairs down to the lower level and looked there. The halls and rooms were just as empty as upstairs. I stood in the middle of a wide, long hall, perplexed. Suddenly, I heard a shout. I turned and looked down the hall. A man in a suit and tie was running toward me. At first, I thought he had called for help, so I called back. What happened? He let out a shriek in response. I stopped short. He was getting closer, and something 
was clearly not right. His face was contorted in an expression of... Rage. My breath caught in my throat and I took a step back. Hey, I started. But then I heard a howl from my left. A woman in a pencil skirt and button-up blouse emerged from a stairwell, running barefoot at full sprint, her eyes wild, and her mouth open in a snarl. I turned and ran. More voices entered the corridor, shouting and shrieking. More men and women burst into the hall. Some stopped to look around, their eyes wide, while others simply ran at full tilt and howled. Some ran into each other, turning their aggression away from me. I didn't stop to watch. A small mob was running down the staircase I had come down, so I turned a corner and sprinted down the clearest stretch of hallway I could see. Some of the crazed people grabbed at my arms as I passed them, but I jerked free and kept moving as fast as I could. I passed through a set of double doors into a large stairwell that led back upstairs. I paused for a fraction of a second to check the distance between me and the closest pursuers. About thirty feet. I quickly flipped the locks on the ends of the doors and slammed them shut. A middle-aged man in a tweed jacket collided with the doors face first. Through the narrow windows in the doors, I saw him stagger back momentarily, but then he came right back up to the door and began to pound on it. Others soon joined him, thumping the doors so hard that I could see them shake. I stepped away, but it was a moment before I could look away from their faces. Their eyes seemed devoid of thought. All I saw was blind fury. Breathing hard, I turned and headed up the staircase, but stopped short on the landing halfway between the bottom floor and the ground level. A familiar face was right in front of me. Lily, my ex from grad school. I hadn't realized that she would be coming to the talk. We stood in front of each other for a moment, and then I said her name softly. Lily? She didn't respond. My muscles tensed. I said it again, a little louder. Lily. She slowly extended her hands toward me. The gesture surprised me. I looked down and saw that she was holding a knife. She started to mumble something, but I couldn't make it out. The pounding on the double doors below seemed to grow louder. Lily, it's not safe here, I said, as gently as I could. We need to go. She started to say something again, her voice shaking. I stepped forward cautiously, my hands in front of me in case she tried to use the knife on me. Her hand lowered by about an inch, her grip faltering, and I quickly swept the knife out of her grasp. I pulled her close with my free arm and said, a little more stridently, We need to go. Lily's eyes closed, and she collapsed. I swore under my breath and dropped the knife, catching her against my chest, then propped her up on my back as well as I could. Hold on, I said, hoping that she was conscious enough to hear and comply. 
I picked the knife back up and continued up the stairs with Lily's arms draped over my shoulders, one hand supporting her and the other holding the knife in front of me. If we ran into any more of the crazed people I had encountered, we wouldn't get far. At the top of the stairs, my heart skipped a beat as I saw that there was a door leading directly outside, back into the night and the snow. I gritted my teeth and pushed through the door, attempting to make as little noise as possible. This was a different quad, but I was fairly sure that I could find my way back to Sunshine Avenue from here. I whispered a quick prayer and started walking wincing at the noise of my heavy footsteps in the snow. Lily's hair tickled my neck. She was still limp. There was no sign of the people. I kept going. About halfway across the quad, I stopped. I thought I had seen movement up ahead. I squinted past the reddish light pouring out of some of the windows and the occasional street lamp lining the now-hidden walkways. Yes, there was definitely something moving. Three shapes. Three large shapes coming toward me in the snow. I was apprehensive, but I began to walk faster. Had someone come to help? I couldn't make out what the shapes were until they emerged into the light. They were round, and they moved on all fours, lumbering and bounding through the snow. They were covered in matted fur that hung off of their hulking frames like mops, just a shade darker than the snow that stuck to it. They seemed to be dogs, but they were unlike any breed I had ever seen. Even on all fours, they stood close to four feet tall. When they were about twenty feet away, the dogs on the flanks moved to either side of me, and then they began to circle us. I set Lily down in the snow and hovered over her, holding the knife in front of me and pivoting, attempting not to let any of the dogs get behind me. I heard voices and looked around. Snide insults floated toward me across the snow. I couldn't see any other people outside. It was just me, Lily, and the three shaggy dogs. The voices kept talking. Then I realized with a start the voices were coming from the dogs. As they circled me and Lily, they kept calling out their insults. What is he, deaf? I think this one can't speak. Big man with a little knife. Don't worry. We won't hurt your girlfriend. Much. The dogs laughed and continued to taunt me as they ran. Lily remained motionless in the snow below me. I didn't know what to do. If I tried to pick her up, I'd have to let my guard down. And if I lunged at one of them, I'd leave Lily unprotected. Why did you have to be here? I thought, glancing down at Lily. She remained unconscious. Another voice rang out across the quad from behind me. This one was deeper and more gruff than the others. To my surprise, the three huge dogs ran toward the new voice. I turned around, expecting another dog, but instead I saw a tall man with a long, dark, gray beard 
and a punch. He was shouting at the dogs. At first I thought that he was giving them orders, but then I heard the contempt in his voice. His face looked familiar. The man brandished a smooth wooden plank. I heard him shout something at the first dog that included the word disappointment. He looked up at me and bellowed, Get inside! I hesitated. The three dogs were baring their teeth and growling at the stranger, creeping closer to him. The closest dog had its back turned toward me. I tightened my grip on the knife and took a step toward it. The dogs swiveled their heads back in my direction at the sound of the snow crunching under my foot. The man swung the wooden plank and hit one of the dogs on the head, and it yelped in pain. No, he shouted. Take her and run, inside. One of the other dogs started to turn toward Lily, but I swung the knife at it. It dodged and growled. I dropped the knife and picked her up, and then I ran through the door whence the man had exited the building. A short way down the hall, I saw someone's head poking through a door. I stopped, but the person turned toward me and called out in a loud whisper. No, it's okay. This way, he motioned with his hand. I hurried toward the door, hauling Lily over my shoulder. A dark-haired woman just inside the door put her hands on Lily and my shoulder and motioned for me to take Lily down a small staircase. I didn't think twice. I went down the stairs and found myself in a small, dark room, where a group of people sat huddled together. Seeing more human faces caused me to stop for a moment, but these people weren't the same as those I had encountered when I first entered the building. I could see it in their eyes. They were scared. They were hiding, like us. I set Lily down resting my hands on her gently. I looked at the elderly man who sat closest to the stairs, and he nodded solemnly. I nodded in return, and headed back up the staircase, where the man who had waved me in from the hallway, a lanky man, perhaps Indian or Pakistani, with an understated accent that might have been English, had just come back through the door, and was shaking his head at the dark-haired woman. They closed and locked the door. But what about? I started. They grimaced and shook their heads. My eyes started to burn. He helped us, I whispered. We can't just leave him. It's too late, the man said to me. It might not be, I responded. They have him, the woman said. Her voice was heavy, and she looked down at the steps below her feet. No. I felt a lump forming in my throat. All of this was happening too quickly. Let me take a look. I moved toward the door. What about your friend? The woman asked. I'll be careful. I'll come back, I answered, hoping that it was true. Please take care of her. Do you have a weapon? the man asked. I patted the pockets of my jacket and pants, and realized that I had left the knife outside. I shook my head. Don't let them see you, 
the man said. They took him to room 213, in the hallway on the left. He pulled my shoulder toward him and leaned in. Don't lead them back here, he added. I nodded. I won't. We all listened at the door for several long seconds. When we were satisfied that there was nothing outside, the man and woman opened the door and I crept out. They closed and locked it behind me. My heart began to pump in my chest. I turned into an adjacent hallway and followed the room numbers toward 213. I could see light spilling through the glass windows and into the hallway. Strident voices grew in volume as I approached. I crouched low, came close to the small window in the wooden door, and peered through. The bearded man was strapped to what appeared to be an upright gurney. The three shaggy dogs were in the room as well, and there were several other humans milling about. The people moved stiffly and awkwardly. Their eyes appeared to have a thin glaze. The dogs barked orders at the humans. One had just wrapped a bandage around the head of one of the shaggy dogs. A red stain was already seeping through. We've been waiting for this, said the first dog. It appeared to be the leader. Get the kit! One of the humans produced a small metal briefcase and opened it on a table. The dog reached out with its oversized paw, but it appeared to have trouble grasping whatever it wanted to pick up. It swore and growled instructions at the human, who reached into the case and pulled out what appeared to be a large metal syringe. A dark pink fluid swirled inside. The bearded man started to struggle against his restraints, clenching his fists and teeth. Hold him! The second unbandaged dog shouted. Several hands and one hairy paw pushed the man back. Two humans put their hands on his head and held it still. The human with the syringe stepped forward. The bearded man snarled one final rebuke at the leader that I couldn't quite hear. But then his anger gave way to fear as the needle pierced his forehead. His eyes went wide and his body went stiff. His arms fell to his sides. The humans restraining him stepped back. The dogs growled more orders and the man's restraints fell away. He stepped forward and I could see the same glazed look come over his eyes that had already permeated all of the other humans in the room. I slipped away from the door, mortified, and went back to the sanctuary. The lanky man was at the door ready to let me in. He put a hand on my shoulder and whispered, Glad you're safe. He introduced himself as Prandeep. Layla, the dark-haired woman, met me halfway up the stairs. Your friend is awake, she said softly. I nodded. My vision was blurry. I went into the dark room and sat down by Lily. She turned and wrapped her arms around me. They told me you kept me safe, she whispered. Thank you. I put my arms around her, and we held each other for a while. I closed my eyes 
and buried my head into her neck. A few tears trickled onto her soft skin. She stroked my hair with her fingers, and I drifted off to sleep. When I woke up, Lily was gone. I looked around with a start, but Prandip came and sat down by me. Lily is in the other room, he said. We found food. I leaned back against the wall and exhaled through my nose. What do we do now? I eventually asked. Some of us want to wait here until help arrives, but I think that's too dangerous, Prandip replied. My mind started racing. What happened here? Prandib's face registered a mix of sadness, disgust, and confusion as he opened his mouth slightly. He gave a futile shrug. Dr. Barringer's experiments, he said, trying again. The dogs, I responded. It wasn't so much a question as a realization. Prandib nodded. Is there another way out? I asked, after a pause. My throat felt constricted. Prandip looked towards the other end of the small room. There's a door there that we haven't tried. I looked around. There were small lockers embedded in the walls, and a door opposite the narrow staircase where I had brought Lily into the sanctuary. Prandip jerked a thumb over his shoulder. The other rooms have showers and a kitchenette, but there's no exit. I think this was some sort of faculty lounge. Lily came through the door behind Prandip and smiled at me. She lowered a sandwich toward my mouth, and I took a bite. She tussled my hair and went back into the other room. Layla came out next. So what's the plan? she asked. I pulled out my phone. No signal. Nobody's getting any service down here. It was bad enough with the remote location and the snow, Prandip said. Wi-Fi? I ventured. Layla shook her head. No Wi-Fi signal either. They probably disconnected everything. I grimaced and turned my head back toward the unopened door. It looked ominous to me in the dim light. Do we leave? Layla asked. I think we have to, I said. How long can we wait here? Prandip pursed his lips. I think they've been searching the building, he said. It's only a matter of time before they figure out we're here. And we might not be able to keep them out forever, Layla added. We definitely can't, Brandeep shook his head. The older gentleman had emerged from the lounge area while we were talking. How long before help arrives, he asked. I sighed. I don't think it will. Nobody knows what's going on here. I didn't know until I got here. His face fell. We have to make a run for it, Brandeep said. Let me check the back door, I said. We don't all have to go. We all need to be ready, Layla responded. We don't know what's out there. Don't open it until everyone is ready to go. The older gentleman nodded. I nodded slowly. Let's get everyone together, then. 
Within fifteen minutes, the group was assembled in the small room by the back door. I could feel my heart jumping as I reached for the knob and pulled it open. The door was mercifully quiet as it swung back. The space behind it had a concrete floor and a drab gray wall on the right. A chain-link fence served as a wall on the left side. Bins with PVC pipes and other junk lined both sides of the narrow corridor. It looked like a warehouse. I spotted a crowbar and a few steel pipes leaning against the fence, and I immediately picked them up. I kept the crowbar and passed the pipes back so that the strongest members of the group could arm themselves. The academics clutched the pipes nervously. Lily's eyes met mine. I tried my best to muster a reassuring smile, and then I turned around and kept going forward. The hall continued straight, but on the other side of the fence to the left was a room with a vaulted ceiling. A metal staircase along the far wall led up and out. I turned back and pointed silently to the staircase. Layla nodded. We proceeded further down the corridor until we neared a gate in the fence. The gate was halfway open. In the back of my mind, I wondered whether someone had left it open intentionally. I gritted my teeth and pushed it gently. The gate creaked loudly as it opened. I paused, hunched over, trying not to betray the panic I felt inside. The gate stopped, and everything was still. But then the voices came, howling, whooping. A small crowd of the people with glazed eyes came running down the staircase and into the open space. I braced myself. There was no turning back. We needed to break through. I gripped the crowbar with both hands and widened my stance as a tall, thin, clean-shaven man in slacks and a button-up came at me at the head of the pack. With a surge of adrenaline, I swung the curved end of the crowbar directly at his head. It landed square in the middle of his forehead with a dull thud. His eyes widened, and he staggered back a couple of steps. The rest of the mob stopped. Blood began to seep from an open laceration where I had hit him, but he didn't fall. My heart sank. I tensed up for another swing, but the man swiftly lurched forward. With surprising strength, he yanked the crowbar from my hands. A chill ran through my veins. This was it. I backed up, my mind flying to Lily and the others behind me. If I couldn't take one of these things down, there was no hope for them. I began to despair. And then... Something unexpected happened. The man at the head of the pack raised the crowbar above his head and hit himself on the forehead. A strange sound escaped his lips. Was it a whimper? No. He began to smile. A laugh. A few of the other people in the mob made the same sound. A small, whimpering laugh. He raised the crowbar and hit himself again. The laughter picked up. The other people with their glazed eyes began to pick up other blunt objects 
and hit themselves on their heads. The sound of metal hitting bone filled the room, and the bizarre, high-pitched whimpers of laughter grew into a cacophony. I turned back to my companions. I felt sick, but this was our chance to escape. Their faces reflected my own confusion and apprehension. I motioned to the other survivors to follow me, and then I walked between the dog people as they continued their morbid game. Flecks of blood landed on me as I passed. I felt Lily's hand slide into mine. I gripped it tightly and guided her through the crowd and up the staircase. We ascended the metal stairs and left the mob below. A door at the top of the stairs led outside. We re-emerged into the night and headed straight for Sunshine Avenue. Nothing else got in our way. Layla agreed to take Lily in her car. We would all go immediately to the next town down the highway, where we would contact the police and tell them what had happened. Someone equipped to handle the situation could go to the campus to take care of Dr. Berenger's dogs. I straddled my motorcycle and waited for the others to pull out onto the road, and then I followed them. We reached the interstate, got on the ramp, and escaped into the night. Thank you for listening to the first episode of What the Flame Whispers. I'll bring you a new short work of speculative fiction on a monthly basis. In the meantime, if you're looking for more, you can find more of my short fiction included in ebook format on Amazon, ready for the Kindle app or a Kindle device. And if you like playing with words, check out my game, Logophiles Delight, available on iPhone and iPad. This is Cheskino, and I'll catch you next time on What the Flame Whispers.